This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. The guys at Zero Procure have walked a mile in the shoes of many of our listeners from the world of hospitality. In fact, they have over 70 years of collective experience of working in the hospitality industry, and that'll probably be me getting into trouble for making them feel old. I really recommend speaking to them to ensure you're working with the right suppliers at the right price. There's zero cost involved. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Olajide Alabi, equality, inclusion and well-being partner at Turtle Bay Restaurants and co-founder of Sisu. Coming up on today's show... Olajide shares the original lyrics to a Craig David classic. I called him on the Monday, had an interview on the Tuesday and got off the job on the Friday. Phil thinks he recognises Olajide from somewhere before... Oh, you're that. You're the Weatherspoon's toilet guy. And Olajide presses pause on himself. Which is hard. All that and so much more as we chat through Olajide's story and journey to date. As someone who's making a name for themselves in the equality and wellbeing space, you won't be surprised to hear that we talk about that a lot. But more than that, Olajide's story is jam-packed full of fun from the start to finish. He's without doubt one of hospitality's great characters and we are so lucky to have him. Thanks so much, Olajide. We're here each week telling the stories of the amazing people within hospitality, so please don't forget to give us a like, share and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hospitality Meets with me, your host, Phil Street. So I've known today's guest for a couple of years now, and he was part of the team that brought Hospitality Aid to the world back in 2020. Remember that? And at the time, he was recruitment manager at Gourmet Burger Kitchen. Now, he has one of the best job titles going as equality, inclusion and well-being partner at Turtle Bay Restaurants, whilst also being the co-founder of Sisu. Have I got that right? Yeah. Is that all right? That'll do. Yeah. (laughs) Which is uh, an equality, equity, inclusion and well-being consultancy. I've no idea why it took me so long to invite you on the show, but a huge hospitality meets welcome to Olajidi Alabi. Thank you so much, Phil. I'm so glad to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah, I'm so glad to be here finally on on, on the show, the hospitality meets, eh? The show. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's going the in the intro show. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you anyway? I am good, thank you. I am... Uh, I, I was, I don't know why I changed from a vest into this top because I, I just, you know, I was like, a podcast. I'm, I want to dress up for, for the podcast. Um, and now I'm regretting it because it is hot. But, you know, it's 30 something degrees now in, in London and we are living through what is our our own problem that we've created. We won't go into that, but we've created this problem that is a Indeed, that's that's definitely a podcast for another another a topic for another podcast. But the um, but yeah, no, I I hear you, and uh, let it be known for the record that it wasn't me that brought up the weather today. So um, <laughs> it, you that's that, that's all on you this time. It's normally me that talks about, talks about the weather. It's a typically British thing to do, isn't it? The uh, to to break the ice and just chew the fat. Uh, but I hear you on it is hot. The people who are listening to this are not going to see it, but over the course of our conversation my forehead is going to get increasingly shiny, I think. But uh, oh, I'm, anyway, I'm so yeah. pleased that I'm, I, get to, I get to see the shiny forehead, no one else. Yeah. <laughs> one day this might see the light of day in video terms, but anyway, we'll uh, we'll get there. But yeah, where are you today anyway? Where are you recording? 
So I'm recording from my home in uh, Bushy, um, which is just outside of London, just north of London. Great stuff. Excellent. And uh, no air conditioning, I assume. And no air conditioning. It's ordered and it's on its way. It's going to be here tomorrow, my air conditioning. I'm so excited. Great. And then you'll get two days of being able to use it and then it will go to being 21 degrees again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks for that, Phil. Pop Pop in my cloud and my bubble. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. It's all right. We're going to get this weather every year for for the rest of time, aren't we? So you're going to get used out of it. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Anyway, and that's absolutely enough about the weather. You're here for a reason, of course, which is to talk about your journey and your story. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of your career. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Oh, wow. Um, So I was 15 and... Back in the day when you're 15, I don't even know if they still do this now, but when you're 15, you used to do like a work experience. Um, And I I already had a fond relationship with food Um, and I loved eating and I've come from a family of caterers. So I really wanted to do something in a restaurant. So I had a work experience at TGI Fridays in Watford. Pick up the TGI Friday Massive. Thank you. Mm. Um, Having a a bit of a rebirth. I I just (laughs) had just had the um chief exec on a few weeks ago and uh yeah they're uh i suppose they're they're regrouping and going again that's basically yeah they are they are which is i think is cool because when i when i did my work experience there at 15 i thought i'd found a home that i could see myself working in forever it was just so fun it was vibrant it was back in the day when they had the the white the white and red stripes and you had the braces and all the and all the buttons it was just a really fun environment to be in and it was full of loads of different types of people from all walks of life um, expressing themselves in their, in their own quirky ways, which I absolutely loved. And yeah. I guess that was the start of my journey. And after my work experience, I then got a job there um, part time as a busser, which I don't know if they still call it a busser now, but they're basically people that used to just, you know, re- clear the tables, reset the tables. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And that was the start for me, I guess. And I, from there on, moved from, I've actually worked at TGI for many, many years in Watford and in Leeds, and then worked for a couple of other restaurant brands um, in, in the Watford area, and then actually moved into hotels for a little while as well, because... Did you? I, I never knew that. Yeah. The Grove was opposite my mum and dad's house, and um, I went and worked in meeting and events and was like a, a bartender for the events side and saw many, many cool events, many weddings and actually met a lot of my friends um, that I'm still friends with now. We all work there together. So it became like a bit of like a, I guess, an after school club for us. We, we all went to college yeah. together, finished college, and then went to the Grove and worked till like four or five in the morning and then and then went home. It was just like this weird cycle of for two years of working at the Grove um, and seeing really cool events and drinking and having fun. And I guess that's where I decided that you know, I just, I knew this was, this was home. Like I, I was nowhere I was going to ever leave hospitality or the service, that service site industry. I couldn't, I couldn't see myself doing anything like law or medicine or anything like that. So when I went to university, I, I, I went and studied events management because I was obsessed with parties and having a good time and having a laugh. So I thought, I thought, what, what, what best degree could I do? I'm going to do an, a degree on how to plan a party. And I went to university and studied events management for four years. And I 
worked in so many different bars, restaurants. I actually worked in a call centre for a small amount of time for Sky, mainly because it paid an awful lot of money at the time. And as a student, if you get paid more than like £9 an hour, I think at the time, you were literally like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. I'm raking You're rich. In. Yeah. I'm so Absolutely. rich. Absolutely. <laughs> how, how did you find that experience in, in terms of the, the call centre? Because that, was it that an outbound or inbound? It was an inbound call centre for customer services. And I'm not going to lie, it was probably hell on earth. It was <laughs> it was people calling up to tell me that their flight stopped working or that they wanted to upgrade or their movie channel wasn't connecting. It was just like really mundane phone calls that I just, you would sit, you would sit there in this room um, and you would feel like the world had stopped around you and you were stuck in this vacuum of weirdness. Right. And, I, you know, your shift was like six, six, six hours long. I think it used to start at four and finish at 10 or something like that. And it was just felt like a long shift of just annoying calls. And what you used, what I remember trying to do is you'd try and dodge the calls. You'd put yourself on like unavailable for like the amount of time you're allowed and then you'd jump back on and jump back off. It was like a little dodgings game of trying not to actually answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was it was fun because we all were young, we all were students. So actually again you met loads of different people from different walks of life. And you'll start to see within my theme here of my career that I liked being around different types of people. Right. And that was like it fed my soul. It also made me learn a lot from from different people because I'm quite inquisitive so I'd ask those questions so it was nice to be around different people it's a, it's a different experience as well though isn't it like it gives you you don't really probably appreciate it at the time but it's giving you something that you you probably weren't uh, aware of at the time it's all part of the rich tapestry of life's experience exactly I think it actually when I look back it helped me be able to deal with with complaints because obviously a lot of the calls were dealing with complaints and keeping customers calm and then you know leave letting them leave the conversation being happy feeling happy and 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 so actually when I think about when I then left there to become a manager in a restaurant I think it really helped me and gave me like a good grounding in terms of how to deal with 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 guest complaints yeah Um, not that I you know not that I got loads but you know it's always good to know So I, I, I left the sky and went to work as a re- in a restaurant that was just opened in Leeds and it was called, it was I can't remember, Ego. It was called Ego, Ego okay. Restaurant, a uh, Mediterranean restaurant opened in Leeds and did the, it was at my, it was nice to do like a new site opening. So it was brand new. So it did all the training at the beginning. And I guess that was my first experience of an NSO and, and absolutely loved it. Like the team was great. The management team was amazing. We all got on and bonded really well. Um, and we did an amazing opening and I worked there for my like, the last year of university and I got promoted to an assistant manager and I didn't want to leave. I was like, graduated with a, with a degree. My parents came to graduation and I remember telling them going, I'm not coming home. I'm staying in Leeds and I'm working at Ego Restaurant. I love it here and I'm going to be the general, next general manager. And my parents going, well, what about your degree? what about all that money you've just spent and I was just like no I'm staying in Leeds and being in a manager at Ego Restaurants needless to say that did not happen right. I I found out on the grapevine that that restaurant was going to be closing soon I luckily had a really good connection with the general manager there and he put me in contact with the team at the restaurant group um, and he was like go and do the MIT course with the restaurant group it's really good it's really detailed you'll learn a lot it'll make you more rounded as a manager and you'll probably find a better restaurant to work in London than you would here in Leeds yeah, and you get paid more. So I was like, okay, fine. So I went back, came back to London, went to work for the restaurant group, 
um, and I got given Frankie and Benny's for my life. I was very, very not the kind of brand that I saw myself working for, but I made it work and I went and did the MIT program with with Frankie and Benny's and it was detailed. You learned so much about managing a restaurant from, you know, doing rotors to back of house to front of house to, you know, everything from your P&L and stuff. So it was was a really nice rounded management training program and then I was finally placed in Frankie and Benny's in Watford. Again, with so many young people from different walks of life and as a manager, you know, you, you learn how to... I guess, change the way that you communicate with different types of people. Um, you had young people that didn't really care about being at work or even turning up to work. Yeah. And then you had some slightly older team who really cared and took a lot of respect and time. And actually, they re- again, rounded me as a person and as a manager, being able to deal with different types of people. But I didn't last very long, unfortunately. It just wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. I realised that I think it was more the brand wasn't for me. We got had a lot of complaints. It was a lot of, it was a voucher life. It was like the time where vouchers right. were, every day you'd get someone coming in with different vouchers and it was discounted. It was just, it was really fast paced and it just wasn't the sort of atmosphere that I was looking for. Yeah. And I got headhunted to go and work uh, for Blue Arrow in recruitment on a bad shift that I had. And I, yeah, I went and... <laughs> It's funny how the, the, the bad shifts can be the catalyst to uh, to your next move, right? <laughs> it was a terrible Sunday. And I remember my team had let me down and I was running the bar and I was running the pass and I was, you know, all over the shop. I was sweating. And someone came up to the bar and was like, ever fancied working in recruitment? And I was like, no, no. Why would you ask me that question? Yeah. And, and needless to say, after cashing up at the end of the day at two in the morning, and looking down down on my table and seeing the business card, I, I called I called him on the Monday, had an interview on the Tuesday and got offered the job on the Friday. And that that sounds like a Craig David song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll fill in the own blanks in that. That's yeah, yeah. We'll write our, <laughs> write our own lyrics uh, around that. But yes, no, no, fair play. I, I think that's the um that's actually a little bit how I got into recruitment as well, actually. I've just obviously stayed there since then. But I, um, it wasn't necessarily a bad shift, but I was just, I was going into work uh, at six o'clock in the morning and covering people who were not turning up to work and making coffees and things like that. And then I would be still there at three o'clock in, in the morning looking after directors, dinners and things like that. And I just remember thinking, is this it? I've, I, this, there's got to be more than basically just firefighting my whole life around, you know, and I, you know, I was a much younger person and, and I, I definitely didn't have the leadership skills at that point in time. But it was definitely the thing that made me go and I had chance conversation with somebody in recruitment and they said, oh, you'd be great at that. And here we are 17 years later. So it's, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it can be the, the catalyst to your next move. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that I really didn't like being, I think I was 23, 24, maybe 25 was that I wasn't seeing any of my friends. All my friends were going out, you know, clubbing, raving, traveling. And, you know, hospitality means you're working in the evenings, you're working weekends. I just felt like I had such huge FOMO. And that was one of the biggest catalysts for me of moving away was that I just really missed growing up with my friends and experiencing the stuff that everyone else was experiencing. And also I took a look in the mirror and I just I just didn't like what I saw. You know, I'd put on a lot of weight. I was eating badly. You know, I was, you know, I just wasn't having a healthy lifestyle because, again, you know, at that time, you were working 70, 80 hours, you were eating badly, you were doing, you were doing 
doubles, you're doing AFDs. I know that's still a thing people still do now, but not as not, yeah, as, yeah. not, as, not as common. Um, and it for just the, was, for I, those who are uh, listening to this uh, and don't know what that stands for, uh, would you care to enlighten? <laughs> <laughs> an AFD is an all fucking day shift, which means you literally open and you close. It is a well-known thing in hospitality, unfortunately, but I think a lot of brands are moving away from it. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it was a very everyday sort of thing. You would do like at least two, two a week back in when I was at Frankie and Benny's days. And so, yeah, I, I, I was really, I took the leap into recruitment, even though I had a lot of friends working in recruitment, and I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm not a salesperson. I can't sell my soul, and I did it. I sold yeah. my soul to to the arrow. <laughs> And um, I remember being told that I was going to be working in Enfield. And at the time I lived in Watford and I was like, how, where is Enfield? Number one. Um, and number yeah. two, how am I going to get there? So I'd literally taken the leap without even asking where the location was meant to be. Um, and again, I went to go work at Duraro. I was covering the chef desk, temp chef desk, um, with no experience, no training. Gosh, I was very busy. deep end. And I was told... I was starting a warm desk, and needless to say, when I started, it was stone cold. It was frozen, freezing cold. Um, they had yeah. not had they had not had chefs for a long time out of that branch, and so yeah, I had to build a new desk, and I hadn't had any training, I hadn't had any support, and I kind of was thrown into deep end. And I remember my manager at the time saying to me, "If you don't fucking sort this out and get some some sales in, you are out." And I remember him being really quite aggressive with it. And I remember going home and telling my mum and dad and my mum and telling my mum and my mum was like, you don't have to be there, you know? And I was like, I do. And I think this is the start of me having to prove myself where I just always felt like I have to prove myself. And this is probably the start of it was, you know, I was like, I'm going to prove to him that I can do it because I don't think he had any faith that I could do it. Right. So I did. I... Yeah, excellent response and mentally being kind of coming to that conclusion that, I mean, this is huge. I suppose, beginning to build resilience. Yeah, that was it. It was literally, it was, I think that was the first time that I had had someone think that I wasn't capable of doing something in the workspace. Um, I'd had previously had that sort of experience, I guess, at school. And I guess it was the first time in a, in a working environment where, especially when I was out of my comfort zone, because I'd worked, previously worked, you know, in restaurants, in hotels, where I knew what I was doing and I went and I felt really comfortable. And this was really out of my comfort zone. So, yeah, I really wanted to prove to him that I could do it just so I could stick my mother finger up at him. And, uh, and I did. Yeah. <laughs> I um, <laughs> somehow managed to do it. And the way I did it was that I tapped into care homes, which was a really bizarre way of doing it. But I found that there was a lot of care homes in the local area that needed mm. chefs, especially temporary chefs. So I tapped into yeah. that market. And as soon as I found like, a couple, I was like, right, this is it. I'm in the money. And I went out to all the care homes and I created like a care home package and care homes was my thing. And that's how my career in recruitment started through care homes, which is quite funny because my dad now owns a care agency, you know, it's 360 there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. well, yeah. So Who, you're you're men mentoring your father. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was the that was my taste into recruitment. I did Blue Arrow for a, a long time. I think it was nearly four years. I did chefs. I did front of house. I did events. I moved into perm for a little bit and did permanent. I did cleaning. I did office. I literally did everything that you possibly could do, nearly in within Blue Arrow. And I guess my biggest. Yeah 
contract at Blue Arrow was working with the DLR, which we what we what we won back the contract, and that was like I was then known as a DLR guy, and you know I was providing cleaners for the DLR trains, and it was probably like during, <laughs> it was probably like forty people, forty cleaners a day, and in the winter it would go up to like a hundred, and I was like supplying the DLR. I was a sole supplier. It was it was at the time. I felt like I was the like the don. I was literally sitting at my desk and I was like, right, I need I need a hundred cleaners and I'd call all the bureau offices in London. I'd be like, I need a hundred cleaners, I need you all to support me. It was really fun, but it was also really tiring because I was working again silly hours, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed I enjoy working hard and I realised that I love being challenged. So I also pick up contracts that I knew would be really difficult to fill because I like to challenge myself. And eventually, you know, I got I got bored of being challenged, not being paid enough. So I decided to go and look for more money, which is not always the best option, children, okay? Yeah. Going out and looking <laughs> yeah, for more listen, money doesn't mean you're going to have more fun. Listen to your uh, your uncle allegedly, yes. the um, it's <laughs> it, You're right. But equally, there is a balance to be struck, right? That's the uh, that's the thing. I mean, the the money from a motivational perspective, actually, a lot of people think that it's the main driver. And maybe in a world where costs are rising everywhere, it, it goes a little bit higher up the the chain. But actually, it's it's down at number five or six, and actually, what really drives people, unless you're a money hungry sales person, uh, and that's all they you know, care about, as yeah. you say, they'll sell their soul for a pound. But yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You got different types of people, and I realised that I wasn't a well from doing this role that I then moved into. I realised I wasn't a money person because I moved into do recruitment for doctors. So I worked in temporary doctor recruitment, so for right. consultants in red cars in hospitals, and I particularly covered A and E. And it was a really cool, young, vibrant. A recruitment agency based in Ealing and I you know it was new it was different it was like me having to learn the lingo of the medical the medical world moving completely away from my comfort zone again but it was more money it was a lot more money and you know the commission was great and it was a great working environment and they went out loads and it was young but I I quickly realized that I was so out of my comfort zone I was so like it wasn't my people they weren't my people <laughs> And it's interesting yep. because as soon as you go and try and something different where you're not surrounded by people that are what you're used to, who you're used to talking to. So like when I was doing recruitment for hospitality for Blue Arrow, I, I could talk to them about my previous experiences. I could talk to them about, I could use the lingo and the language and I understood the work. Whereas when I was talking to a doctor who was working in A&E in Hammersmith Hospital, I had nothing to talk to them about. I used to go home and read medical journals just so I could have a conversation with the doctors around right. something yeah. that was going on that was, that was, you know, within their world. And it just, it didn't flow. It just wasn't me. I wasn't a medical professional. A hundred percent relate. A hundred percent. Because I had, um, in the 2008-9 downturn, I lost my job at Portfolio International at the time. Because quite frankly, and I've, I've written about this before, I just wasn't good enough at the job that I was doing because back then it was so everything came easy you didn't have to be a front foot recruiter it was you know the phone was off the hook uh, with requests for people so it was just about maneuvering the people but when that dries up you get found out very quickly and I joined a local accounting recruitment firm to where I was living at the time and they taught me the hard skills of recruitment but it was basically accountancy across all sectors 
And whilst I've, I do financial recruitment now within hospitality, it's a much different ballgame when you know the business. I, I was going into construction companies and medical companies and retail companies, not knowing anything about the specifics or the nuanced difference. But you kind of, the thing for me was learning the hard skills, learning the stuff that nobody had ever taught me about actual, you know, how, how to be a, a front foot recruiter. So I, I thank them to the hilt for that experience. But I hated the other element of the job in terms of just trying to relate to something I didn't really relate to. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really, it's re- it's really, it's really quite difficult, I guess. And and also, when, once you know you what, what where you're meant to be, it's really difficult to then try and go against the grain of yeah. what you're destined to be in. And I realised very quickly I was destined to stay within within the hospitality sector. So I, I yeah, I jumped right back into hospitality recruitment and did permanent recruitment with Barclay Scott and then decided that I was done with agency and wanted to go internal. So took a role with with JD Weatherspoon um, as an internal recruiter for them, where I was for nearly again four years and and progressed up um the, the, the ladder, I guess. Um and that was probably where I learned the most about myself and about again endurance because I started with a team of three and I think by the time I left it was it was a point where I was on my own recruiting for the whole of Weatherspoons and just for context that's that's 985 pubs and restaurants um, and hotels on your own (laughs) Um, yeah which is hard um character um, building it's character building that's what it's character building and 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 it tested me and it really tested me and also i it was the first place where i decided where i kind of got a taste of you know the power of diversity and inclusion and and you know i guess why it's so important you know weatherspoons is a really diverse place to work but don't necessarily shout about that diversity as much as they probably should and i guess i started working on you know trying to shout about it a bit more and i was able to lead on some really cool campaigns and projects and one of them being that we you know we completely wanted to change the way that we use social media um to recruit um and we you know we started a whole campaign on 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 social and linkedin um we changed our you know recruitment slack line and we worked slack line slack line what's the slack oh, line slogan <laughs> yeah, you're making um making up your own terms now <laughs> <laughs> that might be the best moment of the season right there <laughs> um we started yeah we, so we came up with a new slogan we worked on our evp and it was something that we hadn't they hadn't done before and actually really capturing what it was to be working at, at weatherspoons and what it meant to people um and and why people would want to come and work that was really important and then we finally did a, a, a visual campaign you know to make sure that there was more diversity on our adverts and and actually, I ended up then being the face of of the diversity, unfortunately, because I, and this is probably one of my biggest achievements in life, is that, you know, we did the photo shoot in Birmingham and no one turned up. We had like loads of people <laughs> due to turn up and no one turned up. And the, I remember uh, my one of our directors was there and Tim was due to come as well. And I was like, basically shitting myself. And I was like, fuck, I've got no one to take pictures had to run into Birmingham city centre into our pubs and just grab people to come and take pictures 
none of them were briefed properly. So they just all turned up and were like staring at the camera. And I was like, no, you need to like move around. And so I had to jump in the camera and help them, show them what to do and like protect, like show them how to take photos. And uh, anyway, the photos all came back and I remember presenting it back and just asking which ones you wanted to pick in, you know, in the team. And they were like, all the pictures are crap apart from the ones in, with you in it on the G day. And I was like, no, 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 I am not being the poster boy for Weatherspoons. I'm just not, yeah. sorry. And and Tim came in and selected that one as well. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm being the poster for Weatherspoons. Um, <laughs> and it ended up going on, not only our, on our posters in our every pub and, and in the toilets, but also on every lorry that went out from Weatherspoons. So on the back of all the delivery lorries, which I think there's probably about 400 lorries maybe out and around in the country, you'll see my face. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, that, you yeah. must have been very proud. I was livid. Um, <laughs> I was literally livid. I was like, oh my God. I mean, p- people were literally sending me messages on a daily basis with my face on the toilet or my face on the back of the lorry. Um, <laughs> want a job? Come and work for Weatherspoons. It was it was probably, probably the biggest achievement and also my biggest regret. And were, were people branding you, uh, oh, you're, that, you're the Weatherspoons toilet guy? You're the Weatherspoons guy. Oh my god, I've seen you before. Oh yeah, and Weatherspoons. Yeah. I was that person. So yeah, that was that was Weatherspoons, and I, I learned, like I said, I learned so much, and I think I learned about you know how to influence leaders within a business. Also, learn that you know there's times where you go into certain spaces where people don't know how to to handle you as a person, or don't really know how to take you. And I'm I I'm serious I'm, I'm a serious person, but I'm also I I like to have fun. I like to have a laugh. I yeah. think it's really important to go into work and enjoy what you do. For sure. And so I have a very distinctive laugh, I guess. And I think people sometimes find my laugh either annoying or funny. And I guess in the environment of Weatherspoons, people struggle to understand where I sat, where I kind of I don't get him. Is is he taking the piss or is he is he doing right. his job? It took a while for people to get me, and I guess I really realised at that point that I'm not going to try and fit into a, a stereotype or fit into a mould that's been created for me. I'm going to just be myself, yeah. because that's how I've always done. Even though I worked in hospitality, I'm not going to change that now because I'm in an office. So I, I, that was where, where I really learned that I'm going to turn up as my authentic self rather than turning up as what you think I should turn up as. It's a big moment, that, though, isn't it, when it happens, when you have this realisation that, you know, why am I trying to be someone for the sake of someone else? Like, when, and I'm not being true to myself. And actually, that's the most important thing because that's then when people really connect with you properly. That's when you know that you're in the wrong space to be your authentic self. And it's, there's so many amazing things come to you on the back of when you have that that kind of epiphany yeah I mean it, it really met, brought me a lot of confidence because I was actually on a six-month contract maternity contract when I started and I remember that was the fun of the first things that got me my in one of my feedbacks was you know you really need you to just you know just just quieten down a bit you don't be so loud you know you don't need to be heard all the time and and I just remember the feedback was just basically trying to mute me and make me smaller. And I decided to just not listen to the feedback. And then they extended my contract and made me permanent. So I was like, well, well clearly it worked. Um, and then my results, you know, proved it, proved, you know, the work that I did there for four years proved that I was able to do it. And, you know, when I, when I left, I looked back and went, you know, I've done some really great things here and I'm really happy with what I've done and what I've achieved and I can't achieve anything else here. So I'm going to yeah. move on to something else. And, 
and and I think that was really nice. That was a really nice part of my career where I was like, I've done some incredible things that I would never be able to do anywhere else because I've never been given that budget to do that. And I'm so glad I've I've, I've done that at Weatherspoons. And it was a nice. And like, a lot of people when I started there, a lot of people were like, Why are you working for Weatherspoons? And I was like, Because I think I can do a lot here, and I did. So that yeah, that was that was a really nice time, I guess, in my career. Um, and I always look back at it as some of the, you know, the, the best and probably the most difficult times of my career. And then, yeah, and then I moved on to, to Gourmet Burger Kitchen, which was, an, you know, as a recruitment manager. And I guess that was, I wanted to move into something a bit smaller. <laughs> I <didn't laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I've done this big, big company. I wanted something a bit smaller and a bit easier. And, and, yeah. and maybe with nice a team to help you. Well... That's it. I was I was going in thinking that I was going to have a team, Phil, and and you know sometimes you get promised the world and you don't always get delivered that world. Um, yeah. But I did get a, I did get a team member for a short period of time. I think it was six months, um, and then and then and then yeah, and then and then he and then he left, but we didn't and we didn't replace. But but Gourmet Burger Kitchen was a really nice place to work because again it was full of great people and it was nice because I felt like I was able to get back into the restaurants because at Weatherspoons you don't really get to leave the office much unfortunately you're very office based um and so it was nice to be able to get back into the restaurants and get back to talking to the frontline staff get back to you know even working in the restaurants again it was just so nice to feel connected again back to the industry yeah, and that sounds like that's kind of a major part of your makeup as well. Like I, I, I'm getting the the feel through your career so far to that point is that you know people and bonding and team and all of that sounds massively important to you. And then to get the opportunity where you're not kind of I suppose just sat in your own in an office doing your thing, but actually you're getting out and about and you're surrounded by people again and getting to absorb the energy of the business and, and all of that make a massive difference as a recruiter huge huge difference and and also i you know gbk really wanted to do something around diversity and inclusion as well like and that was a big sell for me was like i realized that from doing the work at, at weatherspoons that that was definitely something that interested me and i really felt like you know as a hospitality sector we, we needed to do more because Although I've had some really great experiences in within the sector, because it's full of diversity, I have not necessarily always felt like I've been included in things or been uh, had a sense of belonging or even had the people speaking to me with the right language. And you know, so I you know I realised that the hospitality sector potentially ha- has ticked a box in diversity, but really, really needs to work more on the inclusion part. Right. Yeah, it was nice to be able to do something around that with that GBK, and and unfortunately that all got put to a halt when you know the panorama happened, good old COVID. Um, really, really fucked those pans up. I had big plans, big big plans. With well, the I, I, actually, do you know what? That, there's your there's your slag line for the pandemic. The um, <laughs> it really <laughs> fucked up all our plans, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't. I don't. I've never. I don't think I've ever sworn on. Oh no, I swore once on this show. So I, once again, I apologise to my mum because I'm sure she <laughs> she listens to them all. But the um, but anyway, there we are. But yes, I, it, it, I, what a great way to summarise what a, a really horrible time that was for everyone. Yeah, Notwithstanding really, the health issues and all of that, but actually, you know, just what it did for everybody's plans. It really did mess up my plans. <laughs> 
to say the least. And I think what then happened after that was was probably, you know, I, I, I never look back and think, oh, that was, you know, I regret that or anything. I never think that it was all meant to happen. But it gave us, it gave me particularly the time to, to think, um, you know, I was put on furlough for a bit and then off furlough and, and then I was made redundant. So, you know, I, you know, it gave me so much time to think about what do I actually really want to do and do I want to go back into recruitment? And I had, we had, me and my business partner, Louisa, had been sitting around, she's also one of my best friends, had been sitting around talking about setting up this business around diversity, inclusion, equity, equality and well-being and about going out into businesses and really have focusing on and giving them the tools to be able to communicate with each other better, but also make sure they have this sense of belonging in the workplace because we both had experienced, I guess, exclusion and not feeling a sense of belonging in certain places. And also, I'd, I'd you know, within my career, I'd, I've seen homophobia, I've seen racism, I've seen misogyny. I, I, you know, I've seen a lot and I've experienced a lot. And I was like, I don't want to see young people coming into workplaces and, and experiencing this, you know, in the future. I really yeah. want to see a change in the workplace. And so we'd already scribbled down on the back of a fag packet, as you do, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> all the best businesses start there. All the best. Uh, it was actually in the fence in Farringdon, I remember the day. Um, and we had several glasses, several bottles actually of red wine. And we'd already done this quite a long time ago. And we were meant to launch it a year or two before, but we didn't. And so having the time to, to, to think about it during lockdown was perfect. And, and then Black Lives Matter happened and the murder of George Floyd. And I literally had this awakening and I said to Louise, I said, if we do not do this now, we'll never do it. And yeah, if we don't when, do it now, yeah. then if we do it now, I think it'll blow up. I think we'll I think we'll do well. And and yeah, so we 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 launched it, we registered our business, we went live on the fourth of July in twenty twenty and 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 yeah, and just like that, it, and just like that, everyone was calling. How do we speak to our black co- colleagues? How do we communicate to our black teams? How do we make sure everyone's okay? How do we do some training on anti-racism? And yeah, we just we just really just exploded, and it was great. And it was so lucky because a lot of the contacts came through the hospitality sector because obviously that's where most of my connections are. Yeah. So you know, we worked with a few brands, and and it was just it was just nice. It was nice because it it kind of kept me busy during lockdown. You know, coming together with with Louisa and rolling out training for for businesses you know across different sectors not just hospitality we did we did medical we did health and fitness and there was training ranging from like how to be an anti-racist to what is what does diversity equity and inclusion mean and it was all virtual as well because obviously we're at that time we're in the virtual world um and again that's that's not how we envisaged our business to even to even have launched we always envisaged it to be face to face so we had to then really think about how do we do this virtually and make sure it's engaging. And it was just a really interesting time to launch a business, but it was, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was, it was, it was incredible. And it was incredible that we had to learn so much stuff about how do you manage a business? How do you manage accounts? And I remember Louisa and I trying to do that all ourselves. And we were like, and I got to a point, I was like, I can't do this. I want to, we need an accountant. I'm sorry, I can't do this. I can't do a profit and loss account. I just can't work this spreadsheet. And, and, you know, learning that, Sometimes you need to you need to get people in to help with certain aspects of your Absolutely. business. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Otherwise, the business can't grow. And then I guess then the world started going back, and I, I needed a job. And um, the team at Harry took me in, uh, which was great. Did a short stint with Harry, doing some training for them, 
did stuff around diversity and inclusion as well and, and equality and equity, did some a lot of work internally with them and did a lot of training for with some of their clients, which was fantastic. And whilst also still running Sisu, um, but as, as, as you, you know, for many people out there who know about starting your own business, it's it's a slow start sometimes. Sometimes you get a massive boost at the beginning and then it kind of plateaus for a bit. And with this work, it takes a lot of time for a lot of businesses to to get the buy-in, I guess, from their leaders and to get the sign-off yeah. for the money to for the things to happen. So a lot of the time we had like 10 or 15 inquiries out at one time and proposals and we we're pitching everywhere, but don't necessarily not getting the comeback or the, and the tick to, to kind of move things forward. Mm. So, I, you know, it was ne- I needed to have a job basically to pay the bills, the increasing bills. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was nice that Harry took me in and it was so nice to work with them because I've known them for a lot of them for years within my career and and that was that was fantastic um and I really enjoyed enjoyed working with them but they're then, all, all all action and all energy as well aren't they I mean they're from from certainly from the outside looking in they're just relentless they are hard-working people they are fun and hardworking, which I love because it's like they work ridiculously hard and then they play re- even harder. Yeah. And it was such, it was, and it's just like working with your, your, your best mates. I had so much fun and everyone that works there is, they're all really good people. They all come from industry. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I've met some great people there and they, they would always hold a piece of my heart because I've known them all for years. And, you know, if they called me up and said they needed me to do something for them, I would always help them out. And they've always supported CSU as well, which is great. Yeah. And then I got offered an opportunity to go and work with Turtle Bay. CSU had actually done some training with Turtle Bay, you know, post Black Lives Matter. And they they were like, well, can you come in and come and do this for us full time um, in house? And I was like, mm, do I want to do this? Because it's going to take a lot of my time. Am I going to be able to focus on CSU? But I made I took the I took the leap because I was like, do you know what? This is an opportunity to I mean Turtle Bay, for those of you who don't know, is a Caribbean inspired restaurant that we have about 45, 46 restaurants um in the UK. It is I'm gonna be blunt, it is a Caribbean restaurant owned by a Sri Lankan, run by, you know, white men. Yeah. And so <laughs> to just put it bluntly. <laughs> and and so that brings itself an element of of criticism I guess from especially from the Caribbean community especially from black people looking inwards going well you're appropriating our culture and so for me that 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 when that I was told when I was talking to Nick the CEO about about Turtle Bay and you know I went for coffee with him and I was like that challenge and again this is me looking for a challenge I love a challenge I was like there is a way to make this better there is a way to flip it and to make sure that you're not appropriating culture and to make sure that you are giving back to the communities and that you're training your, your teams on how to communicate with each other and you're doing the work. And and actually, I was like, I want this. I want in. I want to do this because I really, I really feel like I can make a difference here. Yeah. And it was great. It's, it, it was a great, it's a great opportunity. I'm, I get to work with some great people. And for some of the things we've accomplished in the years is, is incredible. You know, it's incredible to have, to work for a business and with a CEO that is so on board of this stuff to the point where you know Nick will call me and ask me for advice on things and I'm like amazing that you're asking me these questions amazing that you're wanting to get to understand things in a, in a way that I've never seen a CEO before do he is so on board with it and actually it's incredible to see 
how having a CEO that's influencing the business around this conversation makes such a huge impact on the teams um, in the restaurants. And actually, you know, we're, we're rolling out training for the teams so the teams better understand what does diversity, equity, inclusion, equality, what does it all actually mean? And, and actually, how do we do better individually and as a business? Um, and how does that impact everyone else? And then looking at how do we how do we communicate with one another? What's acceptable behaviour in the workplace? There's just so many different elements that we're working on. Yeah. And I think the goal, the goal that we're aiming for is as a business, we want to be an anti-racist business because it's really important that, you know, we are a Caribbean-inspired restaurant business. It is, we do not accept racism and we don't tolerate it. And actually the only way to, to really say you don't tolerate it is to be an anti-racist. It's not good enough anymore just going, I'm not racist. Yeah, it's also not good enough just to stay quiet, right? That's the, that's the thing is just to, you can't turn your head away and say nothing when you know that there's something wrong. That's, yeah, that's the key thing for me. Silence is is basically complicit, um, and that's and that's that's the biggest thing. And I think that's what you know. When I started at Turtle Bay, it was like you know what what are you doing? You know, if we're not saying something, you know, just saying saying quiet, then you're part of the problem. So yeah, you know, we're we're working really hard on on next year rolling out. We're doing a road show. And we're going out and training all the teams and every restaurant, every member of staff will get this training on how to be an anti-racist and what it means to be an anti-racist. Um, so that as a business, we can next year say, as a business, we are an anti-racist business. We've all been trained on it. We've all understood it. And we're all, we're all, we're all here to disrupt racism. And, and that's, I think that's a really good start and a really good stand as a business for us to do that. And then I also get to work with the marketing team. So I, my, my role is kind of split. So I do marketing and I do people. And because I, I think it's really important as a brand, we're shouting about the stuff we're doing internally so that people can, can learn from it. And also that we are connecting with communities because that's how you then give back to the communities in which that you're serving. Yeah. Um, and that was really important for me as, as, you know, coming in as a quality and inclusion partner was that I wanted to make sure that we were partnering up with with black businesses with charities um where possible and so we you know we're doing some really amazing work with the likes of youth music who you know are a, a music charity for young people from marginalized groups we're doing some work with uk black pride um we're doing some work with the jamaican trust so it's we're starting to really make some really nice connections and partnerships Brilliant. With, with communities and, and especially black communities and, and giving back to those communities where we can, and we're actually for the fir- like for the first time we are sponsoring a truck at Notting Hill Carnival in August, the end of August. Okay, is that an- another lorry with your face on it? <laughs> <laughs> my, my face will not be on this lorry. Sorry to disappoint yeah. everyone. Oh, um, nothing. You might see me floating on the back of a lorry, just shouting and waving with my flag. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's, it's great because I'm this this opportunity has given me so it's it make it's allowed me to learn so much from from different types of people that I'm connecting with, and also it's it's nice to be able to see the the impact I'm having within the business, even if it's really small. I mean, I'm going into restaurants, and it's again, it's really nice to be able to go into the restaurants so much, and I'm I'm, yeah, I'm in the restaurants three times to four times a week. And it's nice to be able to go into restaurants and people to be like, oh my God, on a G-Day, it's so good to meet you. 
Whereas before, when I was the recruiting manager, no one did that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oh, God, like, here he comes again. Oh, God. So yeah, exactly. that, yeah. uh, whereas now people are, like, excited to see me. And, like, I've, I've had some conversations with people that have really touched me. And, like, so some of them have brought me to tears. Like, I remember walking into a restaurant and, and one, of the, one of the ladies walked up to me and said, I'm... I just wanted to say that I really appreciate you being here. Like, I can't tell you how impactful and how important it means that you are here representing us black people um, and also trying to make it place a better place for us, every, for everyone to work in. And I was just yeah. like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's why I do what I do. Yeah, I, to- I, I, I completely understand. I can see how that would be a really uplifting kind of gratification for the work that you're doing that you know you're actually you are onto something you are doing the right thing you are making the world a better place by shining a light on this subject and how actually with not much mental change we could all do better we can all do even incrementally slightly better and that's the thing is what i keep telling people when i go out and talk to you know companies i mean i'm still doing work with cisu as well as turtle bay and which is great because I'm able to still, you know, build my, you know, the business that I want to do, you know, moving forward in the future. And yeah. I tell people is that people are, oh, you know, you, do you think people are going to change? Do you think this is good? Your, your workshops are going to be impactful? And I'm like, do you know what? I think if only one person walks out of work, every workshop and realizes that they've got to make a change, or they walk out of a workshop and realize that they've got, they understand, the, you know, the, the power and privilege and how that plays a part in their life or they realize that they've got some unconscious bias that they need to work on if one person does that and impacts another person and that person then impacts another person then that's all that matters to me i think yeah you know all it it takes is for a change in behavior or a change in language for it to be impactful on someone else and that's the most important thing is you know how are we all impacting each other and how is that all playing a part in, in well-being and, you know, how we all feel at work? And again, yeah. that's the reason why, you know, well-being is such a huge part of what I do in my role at Turtle Bay and also what I do with CeCe because there is such a huge correlation between diversity, inclusion, belonging and your well-being. If you do not have a sense of belonging at work, you're literally coming into work, spending most of your time there, not feeling like you, you belong, going home and feeling quite sad and miserable and sometimes quite alone. And that has a, such a huge impact on the way that you feel, your mental health, your well-being. Yeah. And and so it causes such a it cascades down into into you know your life and it can lead into such detrimental impact in your life. So it's really important that when you do the work within DNI or ENI, is that you're really bringing in well-being into it because otherwise there's no point. I think that's genius, and it's I, I want to say simplicity, but that's not the word. But it's. It to- it makes total sense that actually if you're if you're not feeling like you're included in the conversation in any you know in your place where you go and work, of course that's going to impact your well being. Of course it is, and it, so it, I find it brilliant to hear that you're kind of cre- you've created a correlation between the two because it's massively important. And I think on that list of motivations that I was talking about earlier on, where money is down five or six, the inclusivity element is way up there. Yeah. as to why somebody would come to work every day, why somebody would give up their time to to be in a place that's not their home and kind of trade their time for money, as it were, which is all that work is, really. So if you're feeling like you're included and feeling like you're part of the journey of the organisation, 
then it just makes such a massive, massive difference to how you feel. It really, it really does. And and I must say, I'm not just saying it because I work for Turtle Bay. We are we are doing some great things around well-being, and it's something that I'm really proud of because well-being doesn't have an immediate effect on you know profit and on the bottom line that you can see straight away. It's very hard to quantify um, how effective something is like well-being, but the fact that Nick and the and the and the senior team at at, at Turtle Bay have given me the opportunity to to really focus on well-being because they can see that it does have an, an impact and it is really important and people come first really means a lot because we've now invested in having a well-being champion in every restaurant across the country and each well-being champion has been mental health first aid trained and each one has also gone through a well-being training program um, and they get group they get group therapy sessions as well and to be able to implement that this year has been, you know, it's been, it's not been easy, but also it's been so impactful. And actually we are seeing the impact of having a champion in, in a site. And actually now we're looking at, well, we need to make sure that we get them more, we need to make sure they get support as well. So I'm looking at make, maybe getting more than one champion in sites. Um, and that's, we're looking at doing that next year. So it's, it's really, imp- and we're actually seeing that that is having a huge impact in the team and the team are really happy that they've got, someone in the restaurant that's focused on well-being and then they're anyway they're there giving me the feedback so I can then go back to the business and go right this is the feedback that's coming from the well-being champions we need to look at rotoring we need to look at you know break breakout air break break rooms and stuff like that so it's really nice to have some real life feedback from well-being champions yeah um within the business and that's it's yeah that's probably one of my proudest things that we've done at, at, at Turtle Bay and I think it I would urge people especially in hospitality, that, you know, well-being, it's one of those things where people think they've done the right thing by getting a mental health first aider or getting one or two. But I think, you know, when you think about how big some of these businesses are or brands are, you need to think about how many you realistically need and also what support are you offering those champions or those mental health first aiders? Because just saying you've got a mental health first aider and, and not doing anything else other than just training them isn't really ticking the box in my mind so it's really about thinking a bit more outside the box and i'm really glad that we've done that at tell bay it's the uh it's a diversity and inclusion equivalent of greenwashing and sustainability isn't it yeah just get you know we've ticked the box that's it we can move on but actually you know the massive part of that is actually all around the consistent action around it and you know, especially when it comes to mental health, there there is no business without a, a workforce that's engaged and in full mental health capability. Yeah, I think I think that's the the biggest thing is that you know I can't remember what the stat is, but there is a stat out there around mental health and how much how, how much it impacts you on a day to day basis, and if you've got poor mental health, what the impact is on the business, and if you've got good mental health, what the impact is. It, 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 the correlation is is really quite huge and I think one of the things that I've learned is that people want to work for businesses that care about them that really care about them that really take the time to make sure that they are looking after their financial health their mental health their physical health as a whole and also that are looking to make sure that they are continuously trying to do better and I think that's one of the things that you know everyone wants to do the right thing but actually we all, we all say it more than actually we, we don't actually we don't want actually making any actions like that's the problem at the moment so we're all talking about it 
but actually yeah. how many of us are actually doing something to make the change and how many people are doing stuff to move the dial and I think people are especially young people are becoming more aware of the fact that there's people out there that are just paying lip service so I think as, yeah, as, totally. a, as a business it's really important that we start to think about how do you make some tangible changes and how do we adapt because that's the biggest thing right now is that you know hospitality I've worked in it since I was 15 and it has changed drastically you know in the terms of what people expect from a workplace to you know what people won't will not tolerate anymore in a workplace and I think it's really important that we start to realize that we need to continuously be learning and changing and adapting as the times move on here here I mean what a great way to summarize how to live your life <laughs> really I mean you know things things change right and uh, and actually if you think about what we're talking about now if more companies critically got behind it and and acted on it then in five years time we find ourselves in a, a situation whereby we have uh, one of the greatest industries to to work in when it comes to how we look after people when they come into work here and we don't have a staffing crisis and we don't have a you know an issue trying to find people because everybody's chomping at the bit to come and work in an industry that looks after them who'd have thought that might make a difference <laughs> no, it's groundbreaking <laughs> yeah i know eh? wow. <laughs> but no i mean what a cracking journey you've had so far and the, what what i really kind of love about it is that at the beginning it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was almost like, I don't really know what I want to do, but I do know that I enjoy this. So I'm going to pursue that and just see where it, it takes me. And there wasn't probably a moment in your early career where you woke up and you strategically thought about where you're going and what you wanted to do, but things presented themselves opportunist moments. And you went, that sounds cool. I'm going to do that. And then now as you kind of, you've found yourself as it were for one of a a better phrase you're you know you've found your place you've found a subject matter which is you know absolutely here and now but also your lived experience is kind of it puts you in such a great position to be able to help people and that sounds like that's something that really connects with you as a human actually your ability to help people and just make make people and businesses better yeah i think i think you're so right i think I think it was very clear early on that as much as I love to do nice things and go to nice places and eat nice food and wear nice clothes, I'm not a money-driven person. So working somewhere for money has never been something that drives me, but working somewhere where that wants to make a change and make a difference in people's lives, I realised that, that, and that's why recruitment was, was such a passion of mine for such a long time, because I was able to give people an opportunity to get a job that they really wanted to get. And then I realised very quickly that I I was getting bored of that and I needed another motivation. And, you know, this it was like, you're right, it just all led into each other. And now I feel like I have found my confidence in a way that I didn't think I'd ever find this level of confidence, you know, so when I'm so young, um, you know, where, <laughs> where I feel like, I, you know, I know what I want to do. I know what I don't want to do. I know who I want to work with and who I don't want to work with. I also know what my values are. I know what I, you know, I'm willing to do and what I'm willing to not do. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm really grateful as well, because I think, you know, if I hadn't been for everything that's happened to me and my, all, my whole journey, I don't think I would be where I am today. And I think 
I'm also really grateful for the people I've met along the way because those people have really shaped who I am today and a lot of them you know I still talk to because they have offered guidance and I guess mentorship throughout my journey and and yeah it's just it's it's a really nice place to be because I feel like you know Turtle Bay is, is, is obviously my my you know my main my main focus right now but also you know behind the scenes CSU is like really starting to pick up and it's it's really nice to be able to grow a business that's really grown from the heart and that's grown yeah. from really putting people at the heart of everything that we do and and I don't and I'm not, not it's not one of those things where I want to rush it and you know become really big and be making loads of money it's one of those things that's gradually building and and I love the fact that it's gradually building and we're, we're building some really great partnerships with some really incredible brands that really want to make a difference um, and who really want to invest in in this work and it's and it's great it's fantastic I'm I'm beaming from ear to ear yeah <laughs> and do you know what now I now I know why it took me two years to get you on the show because um I, I think you needed to do all of this in order for us to have this conversation rather than doing it when you're at GBK, when all of this hadn't happened yet. Yeah, and, happened um, Yeah, totally. And I, I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I uh, I wish you guys all the very best with the next phase of, of that and whatever that, that looks like. Before you go, a couple more questions. I'd like to ask this of all people. To be fair, you've, you've given us a couple of stories already today, but uh, are there any funny stories from your career that you can share with us? I've definitely given you one already with the toilet situation. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. Lorry. Um, but I don't... Funny situa- Funny stories. I guess... I, I, I guess that has to be the funniest. Um, I don't really have any funny stories, unfortunately. I can think no, that's fine. That I, I'd actually forgotten that that was amazing, <laughs> uh, and the fact that you, you spoke about your laugh as well. So, and and the, the the you have got a really infectious laugh. I think that's probably the funniest thing about about my whole career is that my laugh is is well known, and if you ask people about on a G day or they'll say, "Oh, his laugh is so funny. His laugh is yeah. so." There you go. That is <laughs> that is the funniest thing that's happened in my career is my laugh. Yeah, your laugh. Yeah, and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. No. So, uh, so that's great. What would be your top three reasons for someone to come and join hospitality? Um, definitely not the money. No, joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I would say if you are looking for somewhere, if you are someone that you know is looking to find I don't want to say like a family because I think family has its own connotations to it but I think someone that's looking to find a new a new team or a new experience hospitality can offer you that like hospitality can offer you any many types of people different types of experiences that you could be an introvert you could be an extrovert and you could really find your your voice in hospitality it gives you an opportunity to meet new people as well I think you know, for me, when I didn't quite know who I was or where I wanted to go, it was really nice to come and work in hospitality because it gave me the opportunity to meet different types of people that would then help me shape who I who I am now. So that's another reason. And I guess, you know, the food. Like, I have literally been able to experience food on so many different levels in so many different types of places because of people I've met who have also experienced different types of food and yeah food has been such a huge part of my life and so if you love food why not join the hospitality sector where you can eat food uh, you know in different restaurants in different places around the world and you compare and it's great like I, I think I've learned so much about 
how food is cooked, how food should and shouldn't be cooked, how service yeah. should be. So now when I go out, I'm a critic. Everywhere I go, I'm critiquing the service, the toilets, you know, the the food, the drink. Yeah. Um, and the ambiance. The ambiance. The, la- the lighting. Yeah. You critique everything. So you become a food critic. So why not join an industry where you can become your very own food critic? Yeah. And do you know what? That seems to me like such an obvious one. I think you might be the first person to say that around because you know it's a food centric industry in kind of whatever way you look at it and I remember when I first came into the industry and on cruise ships and when I moved into food and beverage the chef used to try dishes out on us before they would see the light of day you know and before they go out to the public and I think about how cool was that Mm. like as a 24 year old who knew nothing really about food at the time to have that experience of of being tested by world class chefs, it's um, yeah, here here to that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's another one going on the list. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, if people want to get a hold of you to learn more about you, just chew the fat, or kind of, uh, I suppose, retain your services with Sisu, what would be the best method for them to do that? I would always say contact me on on LinkedIn on a GJ Alibi. I always suggest people because you know Sisu is we're not only about you know providing a service, we're also about educating and, um, and sharing knowledge. So if you follow us on Instagram. Um, at this is Sisu or follow us on LinkedIn. We are constantly sharing great content. Um, we've got a thing going on at the moment called our A to Z glossary, where we're because I think yeah. language plays such a huge part in terms of knowing what words mean and the impact they might have. So it's you know we're doing an A to Z glossary on our on our social pages. So it's a great thing for you if you want to learn new stuff every week. Do you, do you know what I like about that as well is that you're a lot of A to Zs are one word within the A, one word within B, and so on and so forth. But you've got lots yeah. and lots of words associated with each letter. Yeah. And you're only on D so far, I think. So you've D. got a long way to go. It's, I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie, it's hard to use <laughs> words. But basically what we've done is we've, 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 we've divided it into the character, non-protected characteristics of the Equalities Act, and we are doing words A for each, a for each um, protected characteristic, and a B for each particular characteristic. So it's like, it's, it's in that format at the moment. Yeah. And so you learn so much because it's really important that we understand language. So yeah, follow us on socials and follow, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram. And then if you want to contact us, visit our website. It's, it's um, www.thisissisu.co.uk. And yeah, we've, we've got all our contact information on there. But yeah, you know, you can find me in many, many places. Fantastic. Yeah, good man. Well, I just want to kind of, first of all, thank you. I'm glad we, we were able to do this in, in the end. And I, I'm comfortable that it took two years for a reason. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to end because I, I read a, an article that you had published before. And there was a it was a wonderful opening line that I, I made a note of that I thought just sums up how we can all kind of win, really, in humanity. And I know that's deep, but I do like deep. So that's fine. No one has ever made themselves great by showing how small someone else is. I thought it's such a wonderfully simple line that it needs some light of day. So I, uh, I congratulate you for writing that. I, uh, I don't mind if you got inspiration from somewhere else to come out with that. I think it's a great line to, to say to the world, you know, come on. Just look after your own behaviour before you start criticising somebody else's. Absolutely. It's so powerful. I mean, even when you spread it out just now, I'm just thinking... 
God, I need to start saying that more often because it is such a powerful statement to make. And actually, you, you then realise, oh, actually, yeah, I could probably do better. I could probably do better. I think we always can, though, right? I mean, it's but I think as long as you're trying to do the best you can, and as long as I think I made a note as we were talking, actually, there's quite a lot of self-reflection in your journey. Actually, the ability to self-reflect, I think, is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself because in any moment where you act on something or you behave in a certain way, we're human. We're never going to get it right 100% of the time. But as long as you can reflect and go, do you know what, I could have handled that way better and because of that I'm going to act that way going forward or because of that I'm going to go and uh, speak to that person about the way I acted and, and apologize or say I sorry I could have done that better or whatever if you have the ability to self-reflect on any any moment that, I think that's called emotional intelligence basically the, yeah. the awareness of yourself is that um, you know we would all make yes we'd make mistakes but we'd get around them a lot lot quicker yeah we really would we really really would that's such a well who knew god this is turning into a philosophical podcast <laughs> today, isn't it? <laughs> who knew? can't wait to listen to this podcast it's great <laughs> yeah no absolutely well it's out, it'll be out there now for for the end of time so uh, people can self-reflect on, on on this all the way through but no Thank you so, so much for, for your time today. It's been a, a real pleasure to, to chat through your journey. And, uh, and I wish you all the very best with everything that you've got going on. And, uh, and long may you continue to make the impact that you're making. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I really hope that you know, people that are out there listening to this, if they you know, really want to make a change or want to learn more, you know, just just... It all starts with a conversation. That's what I always say. It all starts with a conversation. Absolutely. Good man. Thanks so much, Ola Judy. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Cheers. Bye. And there we have it. What a cracking story so far from Ola Judy, but equally what fantastic work he's doing around equality and well-being. Highlighting we can all do more to help. I'll be back on Friday this week as I sneak in a special bonus episode that you won't want to miss. But until then, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you then.